0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Bill Mosley is an actor, musician, and horror icon. He burst onto the horror scene in a huge way as Chop Top in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and has since starred in movies like Repo, the Genetic Opera, and the TV show Carnival. Perhaps most notable is Bill's chillingly well-realized portrayal of Otis P. Driftwood in Rob Zombie's Firefly Family Trilogy, which includes House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and the up-and-coming Three from Hell. Bill and I talked about his career history, and he told me a pretty incredible story about how he got on the radar of Toby Hooper for Texas Chainsaw 2 through a short film that Bill made called The Texas Chainsaw Manicure. We also got into details about his acting process and learned how he's able to get into the psychotic mindset of characters like Otis, and of course, we discussed what we can expect from Three from Hell. Speaking of Bill was a real treat. I'm a huge fan of his. And The Devil's Rejects is not just one of my favorite horror movies of all time, but one of my favorite movies of all time. To me, it was a perfect blend of fascinating, even lovable characters in a grounded, believable, sun-scorched reality that had the Americana flavorings of classic road movies like Easy Riders and Badlands. It delivered the blood in a big way and had moments of palpably bone-chilling, psychotic brutality. All of this Plus a killer soundtrack. As you'll hear in the interview, Bill is an incredibly nice guy, and he was so generous with his time and his knowledge. And I was just so incredibly humbled to be able to speak to him. Now, for your listening pleasure, here's the great Bill Mosley.
1: Man, how's it gone?
0: Really, really good, thanks. And how did you get into acting?
1: Well, you know, I, I I've always acted, but I it just uh, you know I come from. You know good midwestern stock uh, you know Dad was a marine and was a captain of industry. Uh, our family was mostly in uh, trains, like railroads, mm-hmm. and uh, Dad was the head of a company that uh, made tank cars uh still does actually and um, out of Chicago, so there wasn't really um, there wasn't a lot of encouragement. Uh, We were, we, we always acted. So that, that was encouraged by my mom. You know, my parents were part of a play reading group in my little hometown of Barrington, Illinois. So there was certainly, that was always available, but it was never really uh, looked at as a career. Mm -hmm. So when I graduated from college, um, I was, uh, I graduated as an English major. (laughs) Oh, me too. And my first port of call was uh, Boston where I, Ended up working uh, as a head copywriter of a small uh, ad agency. And that wasn't really my deal. Right. Uh, I then moved to New York and um, ended up uh, getting a job pretty much right off the bat as the editor-in-chief of a little 32-page, it was called a magazine, but it looked like a little cheap newspaper, called CB Bible. Mm-hmm. Which we printed out of an office, out of an apartment on the Upper East Side, uh, but that was uh, basically uh, dedicated to the wide, weird world of Citizens Band radio. Okay, <laughs> CB Bible. Wow. And uh, so that you know, so that kind of got the you know got the juices flowing, and um, you know, once CB Bible, I came to work one day and there was a a marshal's padlock on the door for non-payment of. Uh, not only you know the suppliers, but also the staff, and uh, so I found out about uh, you know the Department oh, of Labor shit. and <laughs> you know all that stuff. Wow! But uh, that kind of got me into uh, you know I, I I then went freelance and uh, worked for a, a number of publications. So that's that's where I began. Um, I took a year off. I, I took a summer one summer from. Uh, I think it was the summer of 84. I I left New York and I went out and worked on a ranch in um, uh, Cora, Wyoming, called the Box R Ranch. And during the course of that work, um, you know, it was just basically summer of, you know, manual labor. And I was working one day next to a kid that had been sent out by his parents to kind of straighten him out. He was Mm -hmm. uh, maybe 15 or 16. And, uh, his name was John Wright with a W and he was from Geneseo, Illinois. His parents, uh, I think they were adoptive parents and they were, um, uh, funeral, they owned a funeral parlor and, uh, they sent young John out to, uh, you know, spend a summer of hard work. And, uh, John was a sugar freak. So (laughs) John, you know, from the bug juice in the morning and the frosted flakes to the fudge sickles and the Mars bars. He was constantly pounding the sugar. And, um, he would go into when he would work and start sweating under the hot Wyoming sun, he would go into what I called, uh, sugar deliriums. Wow. And, uh, he would just, all of a sudden this stuff would come out of him like cartoon voices, uh, jingles, like just crazy blather. And, um, And I would usually turn a deaf ear to it and just, you know, dig my hole or, you know, pound my fence or whatever Mm -hmm. I was doing. And um, and one day he was just uh, going on, you know, he's doing ah, Captain Crunch, Captain Crunch. And uh, and then all (laughs) of a sudden he said, Texas Chainsaw Manicure. And then just (laughs) kept blathering on. And I heard that. Whoa! I went, oh, and it went right in. Because I was, you know, completely freaked out by the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which I'd seen in Boston back in, you know, 76. And uh, I was really, uh, I heard him, and I ended up um, uh, going back to the bunkhouse after we were done working and writing out a scenario of a woman goes to a beauty parlor, gets her hair done, she's under the dryer, the beautician comes up, asks her if she wants anything else, and the woman goes, yes. All of a manicure, and the beautician calls to the back of the parlor, manicure, and you hear this rumble of a chainsaw. <laughs> the, the steel door, of course, the silver door slides open, and out comes Leatherface with a smoking saw, and he comes up and starts uh, sawing on this poor lady's fingers, <laughs> and she screams and passes out. And when uh, you know the beautician slaps her on the cheek to bring her back, she goes, "No, oh, no, oh, oh." Oh, and she looks down and she has a beautiful manicure. Nice. So I ended up uh, going back to New York after writing that little, you know, five minute scenario. Um, I went back to New York and I gathered some buddies and uh, we went out to Staten Island on a Sunday, <clears throat> excuse me, to a, um, a beauty parlor called Sonia's Hair Fashions. And uh, we shot uh, the Chainsaw Manicure. And we ended up, uh, I thought I was going to get some help from Broadway Video, which of course is SNL's production company. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they didn't really help. They kind of lured us in and we ended up doing a lot of the post-production there. But then, you know, they wanted to be paid and that wasn't <laughs> really what had, had lured me in there. Um, so I ended up going to work as a waiter uh, just to try to make the money to pay back Broadway Video. And in the meantime, I took the manicure, which is about five minutes and tried to sell it to Saturday Night Live. They didn't want it because none of their stars were in it. I tried to sell it to Fridays, which was the, you know, ABC uh, competition back in the day. And they didn't want it because it was videotape and not film. So I basically just, you know, had to eat the manicure. And I had it on VHS, of course, back then. And I got a job from Omni to come out to Los Angeles to um, cover the making of 2010, the Space Odyssey sequel. And when I was out in L.A., um, I had dinner with my buddy, Peter Seaman, believe it or not. And uh, (laughs) Peter was uh, part of the Seaman and Price writing team. And they had just had a hit with, um, uh, who framed Roger rabbit. Mm. And so they had a big, uh, you know, they had a, you know, a big deal. I think they were at paramount and, um, I brought along the manicure. I went and had dinner at, uh, at, at Pete's house and I brought along the manicure just to amuse, uh, him and his wife. And, uh, and I, I screened it. Pete said, you know, I love this. If you can give me a copy, I happen to have a, an office, uh, across the hall from Toby Hooper at Paramount. And that was when Toby and I was doing poltergeist. Right. So I uh, said, sure, you know, take it. And um, he did, he walked it into Toby Hooper's office, uh, handed it to Toby. Toby queued it up and watched it. Uh, Later I found out that Toby uh, called uh, Steven Spielberg in, who was of course producing poltergeist and said, check it out. They both, loved the manicure and they especially liked my cameo, which I gave myself as the hitchhiker. And because of that, um, and then my, my friend also got me Toby's home number and, uh, told me to give him a call in like a week.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: so I did, when I got back to New York, I, I called up Toby and, uh, Toby answered the phone, which I later learned was a, a miracle. Um, he answered his phone and, uh, I said, hi, this is Bill Mosley." He goes, hey, who? I said, I'm, I'm the guy that did the manicure. And, uh, and he said, oh, I love the manicure bill. He said now who, who, who was the character who, who played the hitchhiker? And I said, well, that was me. And, uh, and he said, uh, you know, if I ever do a sequel, I'm going to keep you in mind. That's so and cool. I, I thought, great. And, uh, two years went by and one night, 1986, early 86, I got a call from, uh, uh, Kit Carson, who uh, had written a screenplay for chainsaw two. And, um, and I ended up, uh, he, he wanted my address. And so he sent me a copy of the script, told me to look at the character of uh, chop top. And, um, I did that. And, um, uh i called him back and i said this is hilarious this is great and he said oh i'm glad you like it said well we'll be in touch and so uh the next person i heard from was uh, from the legal department of canon films offering me a contract
0: wow And the rest is history that
1: is the longest way of of you know explaining how i got into the show
0: (laughs) no that's so cool but you um you were you were trauma you claimed that you were traumatized by the texas chainsaw massacre
1: you know, I had never seen anything like uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. I saw it in Boston. It was a Sunday afternoon, very sunny. I saw it on the double, uh, the, the tail end of the double bill with Enter the Dragon. Whoa. And this is in the afternoon at the old Paramount Theater in Boston in the, you know, the combat zone. Wow. And there was a, quite a raucous crowd, and everybody, I'd never seen a Bruce Lee movie either. And everybody's, you know, yelling at the screen kick his ass, Bruce and we're all in, you know, elevated and, and happy. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then the opening couple of scenes and just those weird tortured violin notes of the opening of chainsaw massacre. And it's like, uh, the, the, the air went out of the theater. Yeah. It just, everybody was like, what the, yeah.
2: and, uh,
1: as it proceeded, uh, it just never let up. No,
2: you know, not to, this day. to like
1: scary movies. And then you see like, you know, Oh yeah, there's the mic shadow or something happens that you realize, okay, if something takes you out of the movie, right. uh, with chainsaw, I never did. No, I just was, I just got sucked in. And, uh, so it did traumatize me. And for years afterwards, I was completely traumatized. I kept trying to see it. I, I would see it again and again and again. That was kind of pre videotape or right around the, the beginning of video. So a lot mm-hmm. of times I just had to go and find it in theaters. And, uh, and it just, instead of it liberating me, it just uh, made it worse. Wow. And really, the, the time I finally got away from just uh, the, the trauma was when I had been hired as Chop Top. Uh, I was in Austin, Texas at the Brook Hollow Motor Inn, where we were all staying. Um, a car drove up with Texas plates, and uh, out pops Jim Seedow. No way! And I, 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 saw Jim Cedo, and I, and I went, "It's the cook." <laughs> I just that burst out of me, and he went, "Hey, hey, man, how you doing? Good to see you."
0: That's so. And cool.
1: uh, and in that moment, I really, I had a, I had an epiphany, I guess, or some kind of healing, or whatever you want to call it. But I realized, you know, holy shit, Uh this is I'm one of the family, right? And I think that was really what what freed me more than anything that's cool was instead of you know the old they can't lick them join them and right. uh and instead of being afraid of them now i'm one of them and that completely uh made me that that, that changed me completely
0: wow that's so cool and gave
1: me the enthusiasm you know because i was i'd never done a movie like that i think i'd done maybe one or two you know other movies mm-hmm. but uh little obscure things uh and I'd never done anything with that kind of uh, pressure of like, oh my God, here it is, the sequel to one of the greatest, if not the greatest, horror movie of all time.
0: Yeah, now that's you know? incredible. And,
1: uh, yeah, so um, that was it. Thank you, Jim. Yeah. Wow. And then, of course, years later, I would play Jim in uh, you know the chains, the Texas Chainsaw 3D.
0: Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I played Jim. <laughs> cool.
1: So Which I, I thought was weird until they told me that, um, that they only had the rights to the original Chainsaw and that uh, Sony Pictures held the rights to uh, Chainsaw 2, i.e. Chop Top. Hmm. So the producer explained, we don't have the rights to Chop Top, so we'd love to have you play uh, the cook. Nice. And I said, uh, okay.
0: That's cool. And Why that's, not?
1: That's a whole story in itself.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> so I do want to talk about Three from Hell, but... First, yeah. I want to talk about Devil's Rejects. I mean, I personally, it's one of my favorite movies of all time, not just horror, but just in general. I loved House of a Thousand Corpses, but there's something just undeniably special about Devil's Rejects. In your mind, what was so special about that movie? What kind of made it lightning in a bottle?
1: You know, I think it I, You know, it certainly starts with the script. Um, it starts, it's too with... Uh, the characters like it was the, for me, it was the first time I had ever done a sequel that I had ever reprised a role. Mm-hmm. So I consider a house of a thousand corpses kind of, you know, kicking the tires, you know, taking a look at Otis kind of finding Otis. Yeah. And then, uh, the devil's rejects, it was like taking Otis out for a spin. Interesting. Like I, I, I literally, uh didn't really get Otis until about six weeks after we'd wrapped House of a Thousand Corpses Hmm. and Rob needed to add some more footage. So we did the uh, run rabbit run scene, right? Actually at the makeup studio of Wayne toss. And Rob said, we're going to do this little extra pickup because we need more material as it is. I think, I think House of a Thousand Corpses maybe runs 88 minutes Okay, and that's with all the extra stuff that Rob had added. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, so when I did the Run Rabbit Run, then I that was when I kind of got Otis, and that Very was cool. again after you know most of principal uh, production had, had ceased. Yeah. So by the time we did uh, Devil's Rejects, you know I was already you know I already knew the character, mm-hmm. and um, so and yeah you know and Sid Sid Hag and Sherry and I were already pals because you know we it it uh, we we did House of a Thousand Corpses in two thousand. And it didn't, it didn't come out until 2003. So for three years, we wandered in the wilderness. Um, Universal dropped us. Right. Uh, MGM picked us up and dropped us. You know, it just seemed like we weren't going to get a break. And, uh, of course, there was 9-11 then. There was Columbine. So, yeah. you know, the country, the mood, uh, it wasn't really, uh, you know, conducive to putting up uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. And finally, you know, good old Peter Block at uh, Lionsgate saw it and uh, acquired it, you know, from Universal or whatever, whatever deal was made. And, um, you know, we ended up uh, making our movie or our money back, I think, you it was either opening night or opening weekend. And of course, that then paved the way. But in those three years that we wandered in the wilderness trying to find a distribution deal, uh, you know, we'd go to Rob's house for Picnics and you know we <laughs> we kind of kept the faith. And what is so, a Rob Zombie picnic you know, like? Yeah, uh, you know it was actually fun. I remember one was a kind of a Polynesian theme pool party around his pool back in the, the good old days That's where cool. you know, everybody showed up in skirt grass skirts and you know <laughs> twenty <laughs> bats. But it was actually, it was, you know, it was a lot of fun, uh, but we we kept together as a group because, uh, you know, we had kind of shared adversity there. Right,
2: right. And
1: uh, so by the time we actually did um, House of a Thousand I mean, uh, Devil's Rejects, uh, we were, you know, we were a well-oiled unit. Um, I think, too, with Devil's Rejects, what really impresses me about it is, well, again, it starts out with the story because— it's a completely different movie. I mean, it's almost a different genre than House of a Thousand Corpses.
0: Yeah, it's more of a road you movie. Know, house
1: is kind of old, dark house, you know, classic horror. Kids go to an old, dark house and, you know, they check in, but they never check out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, with Devil's Rejects, you know, everybody looks different. You know, baby doesn't laugh. Spalding's out of makeup most of the time. Right. Otis is no longer an albino. You know, I'm, I look more like an almond brother. <laughs> and um, you know, with the beard and my hair is different color. So there was this drastic change. Yeah. And that was uh really that was liberating and pretty amazing of Rob. I, I really was impressed with Rob for you know coming back to the you know, coming back to the story and yet uh really changing things so drastically. It's also one of those movies where everything worked. Right. Like the editing was, you know, the acting, uh, the soundtrack, like everything worked. And a lot of times you'll see movies where, you know, nine out of 10 things work or three out of seven things work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that it, 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 it hobbles the, the, the impact, but with devil's rejects, you know, there really wasn't I I didn't think there really was a weak, a weak spot.
0: No, definitely not. So one thing that Rob, I remember hearing Rob Zombie say is that if your characters are cool, they can get away with anything. And there's something <laughs> very lovable about the Firefly family. I mean, you see these characters doing these horrifically horrible things, but you are in my case anyway. I might be psychotic, but I was found myself rooting for them. I found myself just lo- falling in love with these characters. Um, the only other example of that I would say would probably be natural born killers, but yeah. I'm really curious about the how you were able to create Otis and how you were able to, in a weird way, just make him likable and make him cool. And how much of that was you and Rob Zombie? And what what did it take to to create Otis?
1: You know, I really, I really don't know. I do remember at the very beginning, before we even shot House of a Thousand Corpses, um, you know, we were trying to figure out the makeup of Otis. Uh, I remember at first thinking that Rob wanted kind of his version of Chop Top uh-huh. because I met Rob, I, I emceed a horror award show called the Igor Awards over at Universal and Burbank back in uh, October of 99. And, uh, and I came made up as Chop Top. So I, I emceed this horror award show in character as Chop Top wearing a ratty tuxedo.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: uh that's when Rob went, you know, holy shit, it's job top. And that's what got him to, you know, his manager to call me and offer me the part of Otis. And um uh so I figured that, you know, that was my character, you know, where we kind of hang on to a a, a character kind of like uh, you know, like a life preserver. Right, <laughs> you know, in a sinking ship. Right. And uh so I really thought that that's what he wanted. And uh, you know, by golly, uh he he, he gently, but firmly led me away from, from chop top. And, uh, I like to say that the chop tops in the, in the shoulders, Hmm. you know, with a, with a coat hanger and scratching the head and hey, lick my plate. It's kind of all up, up top. And this is right in the balls. You know, it's all about standing firm with, you know, thumbs in the, in the, in the belt buckle and, you know, kind of fuck you. Yeah. And, uh, also what Rob saw was, something that I never really thought of myself as is, uh, you know, like, uh, like a sexy guy. Right. You know, I, I relate much more to chop top being kind of a sketchy, funny, weird character, but, uh, <laughs> Rob saw like this, you know, kind of, uh, more of a, he had more heroic and sexy qualities. Nice. But he had to, he had to lead me to, I did not, I, I didn't come by them. I didn't, I didn't find them naturally. in in thinking about Otis, And, uh, you know, I just showed up and did what they told me to do. And, um, you know, in in House of a Thousand Corpses, Rob had a pretty tight rein on uh, the script and what, you know, so there wasn't really a lot of, uh, for me, there may have been for other actors, but for me, it was a pretty tight rein. So, uh, you know, with Chop Top, I did a lot of improvising. Um, With Otis, not so much. Mm. Um, I did a little bit more. Uh, with uh, Otis in uh, Devil's Rejects, okay. but uh, you know it was a tight rein, and and so as I say, I was still trying to find Otis because you know I'm not I don't not naturally you know sexy or commanding. <laughs> so that was my thought, and it took me a while to find that, and when I did, then you know again then out came you know Devil's Rejects Otis, yeah, which was a lot more comfortable, a lot more powerful, and focused.
0: Yeah. Now I'm curious about your acting process in finding Otis. I mean, he seems to have a and a dash of Charlie Manson in him. Did you research serial killers a fair bit, or how how were you able to kind of get into character?
1: You know i i, I didn't I didn't research. Um, you know, I've certainly read *Helter Skelter*, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you know, I, I did actually go online. I'm not. I think it was probably after I played Otis, but um, I went online and was looking at some charlie manson I, there was one particular interview with charlie rose and mm-hmm. uh, i remember charlie rose uh looked at manson and said you know who is charles manson and he said um what do you say uh, i'm a i'm a box car i'm a roller i'm a roll of nickels i'm a razor if you get too close <laughs> and i decided god that guy is fucking poetic <laughs> <laughs> so I that I identified that a boxcar a Roland Nickels and a razor if you get too close and I just thought that's fucking cool. That is but I did cool. not I didn't really have uh you know Charles Manson in mind. In fact it's funny back in 1990 or 91 I did a play here in Los Angeles called Timothy and Charlie which was based on a on, a, on an actual I think it was one night when Timothy Leary and Charles Manson we're side by side in solitary confinement.
0: In oh my God!
1: And the play is based on that, and then you know Charles Manson offers Timothy Leary some acid, and you know it's a crazy, wonderful play. Oh, that's uh, but insane. I played—I uh, didn't play Charles Manson. I played Timothy Leary. <laughs> you know, so Charles has always been close, but um, uh, you know, I never—you uh, know—that wasn't really how I researched the character. Gotcha. i you know i I don't think I really did research the character um a lot of times what I do is I just you know think my philosophy of acting i guess is just uh read the script a bunch of times you know and and uh you know think about it uh mm-hmm. just get comfortable with the relationships of the different characters and um you know, and then you know serve the production you know if the director has some ideas, great if not, just you know say the words and you know, move one foot in front of the other and, you know, see what happens. Yeah. I wish it were more mystical than that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, sometimes simpler makes all the difference.
1: Because, because people, well, you know, some people say like, oh my God, you know, when you, how hard is it to you to get to that dark place? And I think, well, (laughs) really not that hard. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and it's not about getting to the dark place. It's about getting back. But, you know, by the time you get home with, you know, Two, two, uh, two young children.
0: Right, right.
1: <laughs> you know, it's like let's let's leave. You know, Otis. You know, you know, down in the car. Right. <laughs> don't want to get home and start. You know, freaking everybody out. No, of course. So I'm not a me- I'm not a method actor as, as that stuff goes.
0: I got you. Yeah, I remember hearing um, that there was a scene in Rejects that you particularly emotionally had a really tough time getting through because it was it was just very brutal. I think it was the. Um, the hotel room scene and then rob zombie turned to you and said art is da- is i think it was something like art is dangerous or art is unsafe
1: no art is not safe
0: that's it art is not safe yeah that was and, you know
1: it was so helpful because well of course you know because a lot of times you know we know that the chainsaw is rubber or it doesn't have a blade or you know the you know we know from special effects from hanging out with, you know, spending too much time with Tom Savini, that uh, (laughs) blood pump right off screen. And then it's a lot of it is, uh, you know, foam rubber. But then uh, there are scenes like the scene with Priscilla Barnes in uh, the Kihiki Palms motel room, where, you know, you're just there. It's, you know, you're not, you know, you're not kidding. I mean, you're really you know doing the things you're doing. And uh, yeah, I mean, it it certainly I, I would, I would hope it would make just about everybody uncomfortable, yeah, you know that's not that's not how I roll <laughs> no of course, <laughs> uh you know, and what, what was tough about that scene was not only the actual you know what I needed what I had to do in the scene, but also the fact that it that it comes that it comes from boredom, like huh. we've been waiting for captains you know we yeah, we have to see we're we're waiting around for Captain Spaulding. Mm -hmm. and we've taken over the room with banjo and sullivan and their wives and we're you know me and baby and we're sitting around we're waiting there's no air conditioning the tv's on there's buck owens and uh you know it's just we've been probably there for a couple of hours and it's just you know all the excitement is worn off it's just fucking boring right and so out of that comes uh otis saying okay mama take it off and so you know a lot of times it's it's easier to do a scene like that when you jump out of a closet and you've got that energy and you'll get a knocker on the head or rip her clothes off. And, mm-hmm. you know, all of that kind of energy uh, makes it easier to do, you know, those brutal acts. But when you're doing it just out of sheer boredom, uh, you know, that and that really exposes Otis as just, you know, a diabolical thinker. Yeah, it's just like, you know, that's how Otis gets, you know, gets gets through his boredom. Right And, uh, you know, of course it was, it was very, but you know, the, you just have to, uh, you have to go for it. I mean, that is the thing. I mean, with, with acting, good acting, you know, sometimes you just come to that, uh, it's like in the third Indiana Jones, when he has to walk across the invisible bridge, you know, <laughs> To the night Templar, right. uh, you know, sometimes you just have to put that foot out there and say, okay, here we go. Yeah. And, uh, that's, that's basically what happened what's funny about that. And then, you know, we did that scene, I, you know, Rob said, cut, I, I walk off the set. A lot of the women in video village are you know, visibly upset, you know, my stomach is in knots, uh, every, you know, it was, it was a bummer. Yeah. And, um, as it was, it should be. And, um uh, and that's when I said to Rob, like, Oh man, I feel, I feel bad. And that's when he said, art is not safe. And what that told me was, we're not just making a, a stupid horror film sequel. Like a lot of them, you know, are, You know, really come from more of a cynical place than mm-hmm. a creative place. You know, that's right. like, well, shit, if we can do, you know, half the business that that first one did, you know, uh, yeah, the kids will lead it up. You know, that kind of attitude. And uh, what Rob told me was that Devil's Rejects was not a simple horror movie sequel, that we were going for something special. Yeah, And, uh, you know, and I, I don't think it had ever occurred to me that art wasn't safe mm. you know i guess i had just come from the midwest where they're at the at every you know at the end of every checkout line of the supermarket there are the you know the velvet paintings with the kids with the giant eyes or sad little children <laughs> so, like, i mean i wasn't you know I, i've been exposed to some great stuff but, right. but for some reason uh it never challenged me like that moment did and wow. uh, when he told me that it just like it it was the best thing he could have said, because I had to go back and do it twenty more times. Oh my gosh! Well, you know, you have to go in there and do take two, and then here's another setup, and then it's his POV, her POV. You know, the ceiling cam, the you know the you know the two shot, the master. You know, oh my god, yeah. And each time it was different, and each time it was it was exciting, right? And uh, it didn't get it didn't get boring. It was always raw. And Priscilla Barnes, God bless her. She, uh, she told me later that, uh, you know, it was the greatest, you know, acting experience she'd ever had.
0: Oh my gosh. And amazing. I really
1: appreciated that because, you know, she'd worked with Jack Nicholson and crossing guard and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if three's company is, you know, was the pinnacle, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, she's, she's, you know, she's not a newbie certainly. And, yeah. uh, you know, so I really appreciated that because it was, it was an amazing scene. I, I I'm certainly proudest of that.
2: Yeah, but it's... just
1: really from for walking through it, and uh, you know, and just being you know, just ha- you know, letting go of all this stuff that you know was saying no, not this, this is wrong.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I was going to say last uh, last couple of questions. So three from hell, Firefly, Firefly family is coming back. So why are they coming back now? What prompted this third sequel or this second uh, sequel? You know, on.
1: I have no idea. Oh, no? I, I will, I will just, I will answer not coyly, uh, when it's a, a Rob zombie question. Okay. Got <laughs> so it. That, that would be a Rob zombie question. Okay, I, got I, it. I really don't have any idea because it is, I think it's 14 years.
2: Wow. Yeah.
1: And, and so what that means, I don't know. I don't know if that means that, uh, finally a good story manifested itself in Rob's consciousness. I, I really don't know. But I'm glad, you
0: know. Me too. I've been dying for it. I thought they were going to come back with a prequel to see what all the Firefly family had done for you know years before or Otis and baby as children, God forbid. But I'm I'm pretty happy with the sequel to get Sid Hague back. That's pretty, pretty cool. Um, so I'm sure you're sworn to secrecy about a lot of details. But what can you tell us about Three from Hell that you're particularly excited about?
1: Well, I, I can tell you I, I, another one of those moments, not quite the a Priscilla Barnes moment, but there was one scene, you know, on the first couple of days of shooting. I, I have a scene where I have to say a bunch of words, let's put it that way. And, uh, and we did a couple of takes of it, and I kept dropping my lines. So I, you know, I'd go off and, you know, start, start uh, emoting, and then I would, you know, to get tongue twisted. And, uh, and, you know, it's so, okay. First time. Yeah, that's, that happened. Second time. Okay. And I'm just kind of getting the eye from the director, like, dude. And, uh, you know, and I said, yeah, g- give me a second here. And I sat down and, um, uh, I, and I, I realized that I was getting too actory. I was getting self-conscious. Mm. I was just, you know, kind of thinking about what are they looking at? What are they thinking of me you know, I don't know, for some reason, it was an, it was a self-conscious moment. And I heard this voice in my head say, you know, Bill, you know, go over there and sit down. I got this. And it was, it was the voice of Otis. And, (laughs) uh, you know, as soon as I realized, you know, Get out of the way, Hollywood actor. <laughs> right. You know, we don't need you. We don't need your, you know, your, your self critique. Just get out of the way.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And
1: I did that, and uh, you know, I never, never looked back. Just had a great time, and uh, you know, I, I sat it out basically.
0: That's cool. So you sometimes
1: know, just let, uh, let Otis, uh, you know, have his time.
0: No, I think that's huge. I think sometimes the artist has to get out of the way of the actual work. I think that's yeah. a huge part of it.
1: get out of the way
0: that's great you
1: know unless 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 you're coming in with something awesome and, and contributing you know to uh you know to uh, you, the the, uh, the betterment of the scene get out of the way yeah and that's really that's really hard, especially you know with a lot of uh uh you know movie and t v actors you know, it's, it, it's sometimes it's all about expressions, you know, like they love how I smile, you know, it's like, dude, if it's, if the story isn't telling you to smile, if you're not smiling because you're reacting to whatever reality you're in, cut it out. (laughs) Right. You know, right. If you're like trying to push somebody aside so you can, you know, get a, you know, more of your face on camera, cut it out.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of that.
1: uh, You know, that's, that's, what's fun about working with Rob and, you know, working, I, I really have not experienced that. And that's, I think, probably is, speaks more to the spirit of low-budget, independent films yeah. than maybe anything. Yeah. Uh, you know, because I, because I, I'm, that, that seems to be where I'm, you know, my, my roots are happiest.
0: That makes a lot of sense.
1: And that kind of acting, thing. I mean, that's when you just, I can go for it. And uh, that's, that's the way I like to do it.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. So this is kind of a silly question, but I can't help myself. So there's been a lot of rumors about a Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. In everybody's first choice, if they had to recast, Freddy Krueger is you. Has have you gotten into any official conversations about that, or has that is this just strictly rumors and fan speculation and fantasizing? Yeah,
1: you know, that's that's rumors, fan speculation, etc. You know, it's certainly flattering to be you know thought of in those terms. But, uh, I would only want to see, you know, I would want to see Robert England. I mean, yeah. I see him at, at, at the different conventions. Some of the conventions I go to, he's hailing Hardy, man. <laughs> <laughs> he's I don't know why, you know, they've kind of pushed him off the stage. Cause <laughs> I mean, he is ready.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. He sees, so, seems okay, like he's ready Brad, to go. You
1: know, yeah. You know, he's, he's like in great shape. Yeah. Great form. He's funny as hell. You know, he's really, you know fired up he's great at conventions he's you know does you know funny photo ops and you know he's always into it you know yeah. and i i have no idea why anybody uh kicked into the curb in the first place and that no, uh, doesn't make sense you know i mean the 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 elm street that came out a couple of years ago you know Jackie Haley uh, you know god bless him but uh you know what why why is robert not just still pranking him out
0: yeah, I don't get it. No, I'd love to see a new. I mean, I think my my magical pitch would be get Rob Zombie to direct it and get Frank Darabond to write it because Frank Darabond did The Dream Warriors, which was amazing, and uh, yeah, just have a really killer story and, and bring Robert England
1: back makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yes, I remember. I remember auditioning for Frank Frank uh, one time for uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh wow! And Frank was partners, I think, with Dream Warriors. I think that might have been Chuck Russell who directed it.
0: Yeah, Chuck Russell directed they, it. They
1: were partners. Yep. And uh, and I ended up uh, the first job I got in Hollywood when I moved out in '86 was um, I got a job on the Blob.
2: Oh, that's right. Because
1: I had a friend who uh, was you know like Soldier Number Three or something in the sewers with a hazmat suit, and he got he he got I think he got a he got some kind of a Clint Eastwood job. He got some kind of a job so that he couldn't do it. So he recommended me and they were in the middle of production so for some reason i got this call and they invited me up to valencia and they were shooting in valencia studios and i went into you know chuck's office and he you know broke for you know took some break and came up and i you know and i did this great audition and uh he looked at me and said can you start tomorrow and i said sure so uh i went home and i remember with my uh you know my girlfriend and our two-year-old daughter you know, we started doing kind of a, like a bossa Nova dance line, uh, walking around the, you know, dancing around the apartment going, I got a job on the blog. Yeah. I got a job on the blog. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. So last question. So you're obviously you've been a horror fan for a while. You're you yourself are a horror icon. You've worked with people like Toby Hooper, Rob Zombie, and Darren Lynn Bousman. What excites you in horror today?
1: Well, i thought i you know I can certainly cite some of the recent movies that have really fired me up i I would have to say absolutely get out yeah I thought get out was fantastic um that fired me up um I got fired up by i i i liked annihilation, not quite a horror movie um i liked hereditary mm. not, you know it was. Pretty darn good, especially when you know we see somebody climbing on the ceiling. yeah, I won't go into spoilers um but I think that there is uh, there is plenty of good uh horror, I think you know what I love about it is that the the lower the budget, the harder you have to work and the more imaginative you have to be mm. uh so there's never an, an end to good stories um I loved let the right one in, yeah, uh, you know, and in fact, it's so funny because my wife Lucinda and I. Uh, a couple of years ago, went to that very town in Sweden, the town called Lulea. <laughs> oh, really? L u l e a, and there was you know there in, in the middle of town is uh, the public pool where you know let the right one in. Was oh, wow! And filmed in part, so it was very exciting. <laughs> you know, for me as like a horror tourist, you yeah, know, I was there to make a short horror film called Fish, uh, directed by Martin Allen A h l i n, who's really got some amazing things. If you ever look him up on uh, YouTube, he's done some amazing short films. Um, But, uh, you know, there's always, that's another reason that I love, you know, low-budget, independent horror. I get to work with a lot of young directors and, uh, you know, there's some really great ones out there. I don't know if they'll, you know, what kind of uh, opportunities they'll have. Um, But, uh, you know, I think it's really great that there is, course, you know, the YouTube and, you know, all the social media and these, th- these different platforms where a lot of new talent can actually, you know, get an airing of, you know, all of their, of their cool stuff and their cool ideas.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, again, I, that's, that was the miracle to me was that I ended up, uh, getting, uh, the chainsaw manicure in front of Toby Hooper. It would have been a lot easier if I could have just said, yeah, i just, you know, go to YouTube and right. check it out. Uh, you know, it had to go through a lot of, you know, miraculous hands, you know. Uh, but um, you know, nowadays I think there there are these platforms where, you know, people can still make cool movies. You know, mm-hmm. even if you have an iPhone and, you know, an old barn and, you know, a couple of friends and a bottle of ketchup, you know, you could do it.
0: Right. Right. Now I forgot to ask, what else are you working on nowadays?
1: Um, right now I'm working on a uh new music project. Um there was a uh, a band called uh, War Beast, and they are on the Housecore record label, which is uh, Phil Anselmo's label. And I, you know, I worked with Phil a couple of years ago on, you know, Bill and Phil, Songs of Darkness and Despair, which is available on Housecore, nice, and iTunes, I guess. Um, and um, uh, the band uh, War Beast uh, just lost their lead singer Bruce Corbett, and uh, to uh, throat cancer
2: oh man i'm sorry they
1: have been talking to me the uh, guitar player and uh, bass player have been talking so we're kind of doing an internet band called mr machine uh, based on the old ideal toy and um you know so we're putting together uh you know an ep and seeing what happens
0: oh that's great
1: music by internet which is very strange usually i like to you know get in there and you know you know, bang around with, you know, people in person, uh, but, um, you know, it's been fun and, uh, you know, that's, that's it. I've got a you know, busy convention season. And of course I'm, you know, kind of polishing my toenails for uh, three from hell when it finally comes out, I think sometime this fall.
0: Right. Couldn't be more excited about it. Well, great.
1: Well, you know, Rob, Rob is excited and that, that makes me very happy.
0: Oh yeah. Is he hard to excite? You know,
1: I mean um you know I don't think so but I think that uh you know I think it's something that's really put an extra you know pep in his step. Mm. And I think it was a great experience for him to you know get the uh, get the gang back together. Yeah. And um you know it's uh you know I'm sure I'm sure you know Sherry did a great job so you know it's 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 kind of fun it you know it energizes you.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: You know and and for me you know, after, um, you know, doing Devil's Rejects and having such a wonderful experience, you know, that, that was a long time between between films. So uh, for me, it was very exciting to hear that we're, we were getting the band back together. And also, you know, it was uh, once I, you know, got out of the damn way, huh. <laughs> it was like. Pretty much there was Otis. You know, he really hadn't gone too far in all those in all those years.
0: That's so cool. He was just he was
1: right there and ready to go.
0: That's amazing. Well, I can't wait to see it. And uh, Bill, I really, really appreciate the yep. time. Thank you so much. All right. Big thanks to Bill for taking the time. I really enjoyed that conversation. So here are three key creative lessons learned from this conversation with Bill Mosley. Number one. Make stuff and put it out there. Bill was a struggling actor who on a whim made a fun, short film in a single day with his buddies called The Texas Chainsaw Manicure. With very little expectation of it getting much recognition, Bill sent it around multiple networks, and somehow it got in front of Toby Hooper, who then cast Bill as Chop Top in Texas Chainsaw 2. This put Bill on the trajectory of being the horror icon that he is today. So it's important to make stuff and put it out because you never know. Number two, get out of the way. When filming Three from Hell, Bill began screwing up otis's lines because he was overthinking the performance and becoming insecure after take after bad take bill suddenly heard the voice of otis in his own psyche telling him to get out of the way and let him do his job bill said that he sat the performance out at this point and let otis take over which made the performance go so much smoother So this idea of getting out of the way is relevant to most artists, not just actors, who will often stifle the flow of their own creativity by overthinking the material and finding reasons to feel self-conscious. This may be part of being human, but it's destructive to the creative process. Sometimes the best way to serve your art is to get the hell out of its way. Number three, art is not safe. During a particularly brutal hotel room scene in The Devil's Rejects, you know the one, Bill struggled to get through the large number of takes and mentioned to Rob Zombie that he was emotionally struggling to get through the performance. Without skipping a beat, Rob Zombie replied, art is not safe. This means that working in horror and other darker arts can take an emotional toll on those involved when it's taken seriously. It's supposed to do that. Yes, there are those goofy, schlocky slashers and exploitation films that exist for cheap thrills and entertainment. I love a lot of them. But... Then there's another type of horror that is meant to portray larger truths about real evil. Sometimes the only way to properly depict evil is to confront and embrace the inherent danger that comes with exploring it. That's exactly what Bill did, which is probably why Otis is such an effective character and probably why he's still stuck in Bill's head. Anyway, guys... Thank you again, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could share it with your friends and family on social media. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Thank you again for listening to the Nick Taylor Horror Show.